This is a content warning. This presentation contains conversations regarding the Me Too movement and is not suitable for children. Parental discretion is advised. Hello, this is Jennifer Davis Page and welcome to Boom Goddess Radio. If you're listening to this show and have experienced sexual violence, it is never too late to ask for help and tell your story. You are not alone. Many of us are survivors too. So we know what empowering others through empathy is often a part of our own healing journey. There are millions of women who have not come forward and not said a word to anyone. Today we have a conversation with five women with very different stories. Uh, we thank you so much for listening. I'd like to introduce my guest. We've got uh, Lori, who's who's calling in from Philadelphia. We have Jennifer here, we have Mariana, and we have Rhonda. Thank you so much for joining us today for this very important conversation, ladies. Thank you, thank you. Well, who would uh -huh. like, yes, Lori, would you like to start? I certainly can start. I am someone who has personal experiences with sexual abuse and physical violence uh, since I was a child up until I was in my late 20s. I'm 56 now, so half of my life was the epitome of the Me Too movement. In the last uh, half of my life, I've spent studying healing and the behaviors and narcissism, and I am um, a spiritual and teacher, a uh, spiritual and healer, healing coach, uh, and I work with women who have had trauma with experiences like the Me Too movement, and I've written a book about some of that as well, uh, specifically about anger and how that was a, a turning point in my life when I allowed myself to get angry about everything. It liberated me from that life of victimization, and I was finally able to say no to dishonorable relationships and no to unnecessary sacrifice and no to the depressive uh, emotional shadow side of the whole um, victim, the life of a victim. So my whole focus now in my career is to help women lead with personal power and really connect to the truth within them so that they have the courage to liberate themselves from however they may be victimizing themselves or maybe in relationship with work or a person or anything at all in their life that somehow is oppressing them. So it's the whole focus of my life, uh, first as a victim and then second as an empowered woman who... Um, I've been an international empowerment leader for over 25 years around the world, so um, it's it's a big part of my life, and I see such opportunities now uh, with the Me Too movement for women to really become free in a way that women haven't been for a long time. And it's, of course, so multifaceted, uh, but I don't see it just as a paralyzing movement or a movement um, that is dark and awful. I see it as a very uh, transformative force in our world right now. Yeah. What opportunities have you seen come from the Me Too movement, Lori? Well, I see, I'm a visionary, so I see that the Me Too movement has given us an opportunity for those of us who are awake enough 
to heal as a collective consciousness, you know, and a population of women. And the women that I, some of the women I know and some of the women who have uh, hired me to work with them have been able to really connect to their truth and speak it and not be reactive to what's going on in their environment, but rather allow their wisdom to respond to the moment and in a way that they never had before. And the other thing that um, is very clear to me that we now see the shadow side of our individual selves and collective society in the Me Too. We see the people who are still uh, oppressing others. We see the denial and the repression and the judgment of the women who are finally coming forward. So the whole Me Too movement is exposing what has been hiding for so long. And in some cases, it's able to be transformed into the light. And in some cases, you know, people are digging in with even more fear. But you can't hide it anymore. It's it, To me, with my vision and my extraordinary ability to see into the core of the matter, I can see what's going on. And um, yes, we have this amazing ability to transform it and rise above it and see those who are not able to do so. Ladies, I'm opening it up to any of you that would like to ask Lori any questions. Lori, this is Mariana. My question to you is, can you say something about your original story? My original story? Yes. Yes, uh, my original story or my personal story is that I was born into a family of violence and poverty. And that led to sexual abuse. I was always being, and when I say always, I mean always. I was always being looked at for what I could do for others uh, sexually. And um, my stepfather was an alcoholic. He was very verbally sexually abusive to me and told me what he wanted to do to me whenever my mother wasn't home. And so I never felt safe to be at home because I never knew when what he said was going to be a physical occurrence. Uh, He'd walk naked into my bedroom. Um, It was just awful. I never felt safe being home. And then uh, when I was 15, I was raped by two men who were my sister's friends. And... They put something in my drink. Uh, I woke up. They were both in bed with me. I pretended to be drugged because I was so in shock and uh, so traumatized that I, I didn't have the words. I didn't know what to do. And, of course, what's common is um, for many women is I blamed myself for being in that situation. Even after these two young men uh, admitted to some friends what they did, I denied it. I said, no, they're lying. That never happened because I was so ashamed. Uh, later on, I so I have a long story. It was half my life. Um, I also uh, was in my my first partnership with a man was very abusive. Uh, he beat me up with words and his fists practically, you know, every week for almost seven years. Mm. And uh, in that time, I had other men who also came on to me. Uh, for no reason that I could understand. So I have had just about every, um, I've had a lot of those types of experiences, and it was when I was 28 that 
I said enough, and I finally allowed myself to get angry because I was afraid of anger. I thought anger was a part of what was happening to me, but I realized that anger was a powerful healing force, and it was what I needed to connect to so that I could say no, just no. And eventually I went to karate, and I got a black belt, and it was during training for martial arts that I was able to set healthy boundaries, like I had this inner karate. And then after that is when I went on my, uh, when I started studying all of this and getting training and education and going to university so that I could do what I do today for other women. That's, uh, that's, that's uh, a powerful story. And uh, I, I wanted to have the day um, with stories and experiences, but I also want to have um, forgiveness and tell us, did you ever forgive those men? Did you ever uh, clo open your heart and say, I've got to heal myself and, and I've got to do something to, to not be angry all the time? Yeah, so that's, I'm sorry, are you asking me that or are you opening that up to the other ladies? Well, everybody, we're going to, all of us are going to talk about forgiveness, but I'm asking you specifically. Okay. Yeah, so what I needed to, who I needed to forgive the absolute most, which made everything else possible, was myself because I blamed myself for everything. And self-judgment is so prevalent. We judge ourselves for everything because we grow up in a society or a church or a school where we're taught how to be. And if we're not that way, there's something wrong with us. So for me, uh, I thought there was something wrong with me, and I was bringing all of this stuff on. So I had to really learn how to love myself unconditionally and forgive myself and realize that none of this, like I didn't invite this into my life consciously. I didn't, um, this wasn't something that I was hoping to have happened to me as soon as I was born. So I forgave myself, and through my work, I, I, I have empathy for and compassion for everyone in the world. I mean, I honestly do. It's one of my extraordinary superpowers. And so I see how even my stepfather, who was an alcoholic, you know, I don't know his personal story, but if he would have been um, unconditionally loving himself and finding value in his life, he never would have done what he did to others or me. Likewise, the two young men, I don't know what their personal story was, but if they were in love with themselves and honored and, um, you know, had joy in their hearts, they would never have violated me like that. So I, I see one of my biggest, um, I want to say it's a phrase or it's something that I live by, is there but for the grace of God go I. So I have an, an ability to see the person and not their crime and have compassion and empathy for them and love them anyway. So, uh, but the forgiveness, the biggest piece of forgiveness for me was forgiving myself for something I didn't even need to be forgiven about. But once you have these ideas and beliefs and judgments about yourself, you do have to transform them or you'll never heal. Mm -hmm. Mariana? Do you want me to talk about forgiveness? I'd like you to talk a little bit about forgiveness, and then I'd like um, you to tell your story. Okay. Why don't I start with my story okay. so that it can lead into my own path Perfect. toward forgiveness? Perfect. I was 14 years old walking <clears throat> with a friend of mine in Brooklyn. It's a big thoroughfare. And these th three men pulled up, young men who were the basketball stars, in our school, seniors, and they asked if we wanted to take a ride. And I trusted my friend, she knew them. 
And even though there was a very strong voice in my head that said, no, don't go, I went along. So putting that in, into the context of forgiveness, that was the first thing I had to forgive myself for, is why didn't I listen to that voice? Because I knew that this was not going to turn out well. Anyway, we drive to this lot near LaGuardia Airport, totally empty, pitch black. And I said, where are we going? What is this? What's, what's happening here? And my friend got out with two of the young men, and I was in the back seat with this young man. And he said to me, when they got out of the car, you're lucky that you have me because the others have a knife. And I started to shake and cry. And he said to me, you are going to give me a blowjob. And I said, what's a blowjob? I'm 14 years old. I didn't even know what it was. Right. I had never seen a penis. And he forced my head down. There was no way for me to get out of that car. It didn't, it was, uh, help me here. It didn't have a door in the back. Oh, yes. It was just a two-door coupe, right? Right. Mm -hmm. So I couldn't get out, and he forced my head down. And I had no idea of what to do or how to do this. And anyway, he kept moving my head up and down and then ejaculated in my mouth. I was traumatized. My friend came back, and I later learned that she knew these boys and did this all the time. So she knew what was going to happen she to you. She knew what was going to happen. I get driven home, and... I go right into the shower, and I start vomiting. I went into my room and sat up all night. And in the morning, I told my mother what happened and that I wanted to do something so that these young men never do this to anyone else. And she said to me, we can't because your father will kill them. And so nothing was done. And one of the things I had to forgive myself for was not pursuing this myself. I was 14. I didn't even think about it. But in retrospect, why didn't I go to the police? Why didn't I go to the school? Why didn't I do something? Well, I'm sure you must have been listening to your mother's direction at 14 years old, right? That's well, I was very rebellious, so I didn't listen to her a lot. Okay. However, I was afraid. I know my father. I knew his temper, and I believed her. Did you ever have a conversation with your mother after you became an adult as to why she didn't... I mean, we understand what, what she meant in terms of your father's anger. But did you two ever have a conversation? No. We buried it. I buried it. That must not have been healthy. Well, I'll tell you the result of this incident. And that was I had three husbands in my life, ruined all of the marriages, 
had very, was very nasty and angry to every man who was interested in me, divorced every husband, and spent a lot of time, I'm a Gestalt therapist, and spent a lot of time in therapy being reparented and working through that incident, being confronted by that incident, by my therapist. How are you today? I'm fabulous. <laughs> 32 years ago, <laughs> I met my husband, John. And the unconditional love that he has for me healed me, in addition to all the work I did on myself. And what about forgiveness? Have you forgiven? How does forgiveness come into your story? If you were to see that young man right now, if you were to walk into him in a mall, would you say something to him? Would you pull him aside and say, do you remember when? Yes, I would. I would treat him with respect. That's who I am. I treat everyone with respect and honor. And I would say something. Although I have completed this through my therapy, and there is an exercise that really helped me with this. And that was the empty chair exercise that I learned in my Gestalt training. And that is I would put him in an empty chair saying everything that I had to say to him. And then I'd sit in the empty chair and be him and say anything that he might say to me. Well, that sounds very therapeutic. It was a very powerful thing to do. We're going to take a break, and we will continue with these stories uh, when we return. Hello, my name is Rhonda Peoples. I am a unique sales trainer that focuses on teaching you how to discover what is important to your client and how to speak to them in their language, such that you hear more yeses than noes. So if you are ready to start saving time and making more money, contact me at my website, rondapeoples.corelink.com or 520-377-2279. This is a content warning. This presentation contains conversations regarding the Me Too movement and is not suitable for children. Parental discretion is advised. Thank you for um, continuing to listen to Boom Goddess Radio. This is Jennifer Davis Page. I'm in studio today with three, three remarkable women and I've got a, a, a wonderful um, friend and and colleague on the phone from Philadelphia. So we have Mariana with us today. We have Jennifer, the second Jennifer, the the young pretty Jennifer, <laughs> <laughs> Rhonda, and we have Lori on 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 uh, as part of our conversation. We're going to start with you, Jennifer. You want to tell us your story, please. So, <clears throat> my story is related to. You know, we hear about all these people in authority, people respected in the community, who use their position of authority and trust and love to get their way um, and use it to their advantage. And that 
um, is my experience in that my partner, my life partner for many years was what could be called a spiritual narcissist, really feeding off the adoration of others and, and actually doing really amazing work in the community. I mean, truly, that's the appeal and that's the draw. It's a way to help people feel special in their presence and and quite often helping them see amazing things in themselves. So there's really a great draw and a great experience around this person. There's the draw. But they're also, um, much of that is for their own gain because they appreciate and feed off of that. So over time then criticisms begin and next thing you know, you're all of a sudden so deeply in that you don't really even understand your own reality. You don't trust your gut. You don't trust what is happening around you because it's been, you've been groomed to see what they want you to see. So in that context, another person joined our life. We had a group of people. We had this community of amazing things happening out in the public. It's a healing organization. We were touching people, and it's this amazing healing work. And it was just so extraordinary. And in our own lives, we were doing a great deal of spiritual studies. The great masters of of through time, through all different religions and philosophies, really doing a great amount of self awareness and transformative work except the person who's leading you through it <laughs> isn't really doing it. But um, <clears throat> it's an opportunity for them to learn a lot about you and learn your triggers. So another person joined us. She was much younger, um, straight out of high school, and um, she became part of our lives. Well, she had been part of my life um, for a long time. Um, but um, years went on, and um, then she left the community and he and I uh, split up. And that's when she came to me and told me that he had been molesting her for years in our home. And I didn't know. And you can tell this is, we talk about forgiveness. Mm -hmm. And to wonder how could one not see? Because that is what society says. How could someone not know? And yet... I've done a lot of work on this as well and realizing that's just one more way. Not only are the people, so we watch, we watch the news. We see horror stories of children coming forward about priests. We hear this brave woman come forward in front of the Senate and tell what happened to her at a party in high school. And these people be vilified I mean, people are, this woman is vilified, and yet there are so many times we, we watch these stories and we know in our hearts that these things happen, and we don't question the people who said this happened to them because we know it. These children and the priests, we know it. That, that, that gymnast physician and those young, talented women, it's junior high through college, we know these things happen. But when you're the person in your own community saying, you know what, someone in your community did this you're then the person who they don't believe. And that's very hard, and that's a big piece of my story, is the way that people choose not to believe, particularly when they're asked to take a close look at someone in their own community, because it will require them to shake up. 
And these are the same people who would say, how could this person go to church and support that priest? How can someone support that pastor who molested that child when she was 13? And they say, oh, he's reformed and he's, you know, does, does great work. These, these are the contradictions that happen in this conversation. And the thing to realize is someone in this spiritual narcissist, so it's a person of authority, whether it's a physician, it's a therapist, it's a guru, it's a priest, it's a pastor, it's a rabbi, whoever it is, they are looking for people to groom that vibrate at a certain frequency because that's their frequency. Mm-hmm. So it's not that everyone's going to, quote, I didn't see that. I've never seen anything like that. Of course not, because you're not at that frequency. And they're very good at hiding that. So my conversation remains difficult because this person continues to be in the world. Some people, I have lost friends. I've stepped away from the community. And he's been given the freedom to tell my story. Why did I leave? And it doesn't involve his actions. I've had people say to me, why are you saying this? You're going to hurt the organization that does such great work. And I say, how am I going to hurt the organization when I'm the one who didn't do it? The person who does these things, whatever the organization, whether it's the gymnastics Olympic team or what, it's the person who perpetrates these issues that is the person who needs to be focused on, not why didn't you see. That person was groomed just like the person that he sexually assaulted. These people have an ability to put a cloud of doubt. And there's vague apologies, so people think, oh, this person's such a real person. But it's all, oh, they're so humbled or whatever. But it's all smoke and mirrors. And this is how so many people in these positions get away with doing these things for so long. And that to me is my story and the difficulty is that there remain people who are out in the world still potentially hurting people or actually hurting people because no one close to them wants to believe it. And then people who say out loud, this happened, they aren't believed. Do you want to share with our listeners the relationships that, uh, of the two people that you are talking about? Um, I can't share the relationship of the person he victimized. Okay. Um, because a lot of what has made it difficult for me to share my part of the story, um, I am the partner of a sexual predator. Mm. Uh, how, did, how did I, a savvy person, become that person? How long were the two of you together? Um, a little fuzzy, but about nine years. Oh, so for a I long mean, time. Oh, we were, yeah. Yeah, this was, this yeah, we were, we were a couple. We were running an organization. Okay. There were many people involved. Um, but this person, um, let's also say that you say, oh, couldn't you have seen something? Well, you know, occasionally you feel something that's like awkward. In my case, there are many people who've seen it. They know they're in denial, period. Mm-hmm. But there's just, there can be something awkward. But there's no place in your brain there is no place in your brain that the person you have chosen as your mate would be a person who would do such a thing to someone else close to you in your environment. There's not a, there's not a place for it. And yet, when he and I split and she began having flashbacks because she had suppressed it because she was carrying the guilt and shame and he wasn't, that's how it also works, 
she had the flashbacks. She realized what had happened. She'd had therapists telling her that it sounds like you had an affair with your this person. Mm-hmm. No, that's not what happened. This is this this person is a predator. So finally, she told me, and as soon as she told me, hindsight is twenty twenty. It all became crystal clear. It I sexual predation one hundred and one. The grooming, the grooming of me, the grooming of her, the grooming of people around us to have a certain concept of who he is. And um, so, again, I can't tell her story, but the fact that I have a story inside of that, and it's been hard for me to tell it because I have to protect her, um, and I've lost um, friends in the community, and um, it, it remains... The have fallout, the fallout continues, and he continues to be in the community in a position of trust. Have you lost friends because they just didn't believe? Absolutely. 100%. So these they are people think who, that he is these are people an honorable who knew citizen. People who they believe is an honorable c- citizen, or they have chosen to not inconvenience themselves with having to choose to face it and to act. There were a couple brave souls. God bless them. They said, because it took me a long time to be able to say it. I had to extricate myself financially. I mean, there was all this other stuff still to fall out. I had to protect myself first. So then I, and then I have to step away from all of these people because I can't tell them right. what's happening. These are people who love me. Then I tell them and they go, well, I didn't see that. Are you kidding? I don't make this up. Well, I have other things to do with my life. This is not a story I want to be part of my life. I don't want to be the person who this person made blind I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be the person who couldn't protect someone. I don't want to be that person. How did you heal from this? I'm not or have yet. You? Okay. <laughs> well, I'm working quite a bit on it. And there are, um, it's hard when you see the person who's in a community still in that position. So you still see that person from time to time? Yes. And I hear of them. And it's uh, that, that for me is the part that makes it really, really hard. And um, to, to have people still, want to say how come you couldn't why didn't you see and I say that's just one more way that our society deflects the blame from the person who did it by expecting other people to police them and he knows you well enough to know that you're not going to tell you're not going to tell the community I have I have told many people Mm -hmm. but uh people will make their own choices and Mm -hmm. usually let's see the majority the vast majority of people say well I've never seen that and those are people who know me. I wouldn't make that up. I've not seen that. Okay. Other people say, oh, my gosh, I'm going to confront him because you're my friend and I believe you and give him the opportunity. I really respect that. Many of them had said I talked to him and his answer was just ridiculous. And I'm, I told him so and I am stepping away. Other people just choose to stick their fingers in their ears and just go along their merry way and benefit from that environment, but um, let the person who is um, <clears throat> the person who's the, who's speaking out, uh, that person tends to be get hung in the wind quite often. And I, I'm powerful in wanting to say it, but there's a lot of other stories I have to protect while I'm telling my story. So that makes it difficult for me. But how are you doing? How are you doing? How are you healing from any of this? Uh, and forgiveness. We talk about forgiveness. How are you? you my thing is how like you've forgive forgiven him. Oh, no, I'm not forgiven him yet, though I work. I cont- <laughs> there's a theoretical forgiveness, and then there's the 
actual forgiveness. And right now my priority is to continue to work really hard at being clear on how did I get there and forgiving myself and for not feeling the barbs and arrows of others who would choose to blame me for the actions of someone who set this up because that's what they do. How has this affected other, other relationships with, with other men? Has well, um, the first question I would ask when I was dating was if this, you have to decide, when are you going to tell your big ugly story? Mm -hmm. That's a thing. First, you have to decide, how do they talk about women? When the news comes on, how do they talk about mm -hmm. these things? Are mm -hmm. they disgusted? Or are they like, you know, mm -hmm. I have to gauge that first. Now I'm in an awesome relationship, a wonderful person, seven years. I am thrilled. But the moment where you have to say, I'm going to tell you my terrible story, and the first words out of your mouth are going to make and break, make or break forever. Right. That's it. There's an absolute, who are you going to be? And are you going to say, well, how could you not know? Or how old was this person that he hurt? That, that's, those aren't the questions. Mm -hmm. The question is, how could that person have done that? That's the answer to that question. Well, we're going to take a brief break. And we're going to um, come back in just a moment. This is a content warning. This presentation contains conversations regarding the Me Too movement and is not suitable for children. Parental discretion is advised. Welcome back to Boom Goddess Radio. This is Jennifer Davis Page in studio with with Jennifer and Mariana and Rhonda, and we have Lori on the phone all the way from Pennsylvania. Uh, welcome back, ladies. Uh, Rhonda, I'd like you to uh, start this segment with your story, if you, if you will. Thank you. So um, my story starts back when I was probably 10, 9, 10, 11, kind of in that age range. And um, I had been raised in an alcoholic family. My father was an alcoholic, and uh, my mother was uh, um, an enabler and um, in that relationship. And uh, I had my I had moved my bedroom. My bedroom was downstairs. There was many kids, many girls in the house, and so my house was. I mean, my uh, my room was in the basement, and. Um, we had one bathroom. Actually, we had two bathrooms. There was a bathroom in my mother's room, and then there was a, then our bathroom. The, the one in the mother's room just had a shower. And so often my dad would use our, sh our, our bathtub, and he would be taking a bath. And he would call me into the bathroom and expose himself. And he would handle himself in front of me and really wait for a response from me. Um, I obviously would get out of the room as quickly as possible, but those were the evenings. My mom worked evenings. So um, those were the evenings that he would come home and he would be wasted. Um, in the middle of the night, at some time after I had would go to sleep, I would wake up to my father um, handling me. And uh, it happened for several years um, and I, I knew that it was wrong. 
I would act as though I was sleeping so that I didn't know because I didn't, I didn't know what to say. You know, you feel this adult over you, this very large, strong man. And as in all of us, um, we, we cower down and we're children. So we don't, we, we haven't been taught what to say, especially when it's your parent. And so I would, um, we had grandparents that I would, we would go on the weekends and we'd take care of my grandparents and they would leave us there. Sometimes I would be left by myself and, and my grandfather would fondle me and my grandfather would take me and put me on top of his body. Now I think I was younger. I think this might've even started before my father and he would kind of grind me on his body and you know, I remember times almost thinking that it felt good. And, you know, what does that mean? You know, what, what, what does that mean? And then, you know, my father continued and, and I finally, I, I, I told my mom. And my mom never said a word. And as far as I could tell, she didn't care. Because nothing was ever said. In my vision, nothing was ever said to my father. Nothing changed at home. He was still at home. The family went on. Now, the abuse stopped. He wasn't coming downstairs anymore. But I found myself, you know, we would be out playing football in the front yard, and there was an older boy next door. And in the football, like in the tackle, he'd be grabbing my crotch or grabbing my breasts. I was like, man, it's just all over the place. Like everywhere I go, it's like, do I have a sign on my head? Like grab me. And, you know, that awakens something in you. And, you know, I found through my teenage years that I, you know, I was a highly sexed individual. I loved sex. I did everything to have sex. And, you know, many say that it, it, it turns something on in you, and I think we all handle it differently. I just could never get enough sex. It was always, it was like a primary part of who I was and where I was. And so I, you know, going through life, I, I got into an industry that I was extremely successful in, but uh, I found myself um, feeling as though that I, I needed to be a man, I needed to have a persona of being that hardcore, you know, I would look around to other few women that was in that industry, and they were just, you know, they were bitchy, like, that's how we got things done. And so that was kind of my persona that I took on. And I watched many times where there would be, um, there would be incidents that would happen in, in our company where a woman would say something about a manager and the manager would just get moved to a, a, another building. And before I knew it, the woman was gone. And then I got into upper management and, and being in these conversations in corporate America, you know, you're in that conversation about employees and hiring and always conversation about, well, they might be too heavy, well, they might look a little too risque. We would get the women that had the huge breast and dressed to the nines, like, oh, they're in, they're in. 
regardless of the level of competency. Um, I watched this go on the entire time through my career and really found that I really had lost my voice. And I really, I really went inward. I found myself ended up losing my position. I had a hysterectomy and ovarian cancer and they discontinued my position. And I really dove into personal development because I didn't like who I was and I didn't know what was going on. And I, and I couldn't get that success back. You know, I went forward in, in some other positions and, and I just couldn't get it. I couldn't figure it out. And so I, I did a lot of work and a lot of personal development work. And through that work, I, I came to understand that I wanted to forgive my father because I didn't know his story. Like I know he was an alcoholic. Being an alcoholic, you, there's something that happens. There's something that's being covered up. I don't know his story. And in those days, right? I mean, just things really, I mean, we think we don't talk now. Like back then, nobody ever spoke. And so I found myself one day calling my father. And I was driving and I was really in a place. Now I had done several years of, of work and I called him and I said, dad, you know, he was, he's had some bladder cancer and he's had some issues. And so I wanted to forgive him in case something happened. I really wanted him to be complete and to move to his next level stage in life, whatever that was, um, being very complete and me being complete with it. So I, I said, dad, I'm going to have a conversation with you and I want to make sure you're sitting down. Are you in the car? Where are you at? And he said, no, no, I'm, I'm sitting down. And I said, dad, I want to, I want to first share with you I have forgiven you and I have forgiven you several months ago with what I'm about to share with you. And he said, okay. And I could hear the shaking in his voice. And I said, I don't know if you remember the sexual abuse that you put me through when I was younger. And he started crying. And he said, no, I, I, don't, I don't remember. And I said, well, you were wasted the majority of my childhood. You know, he would come home and there would be fights and all kinds of stuff that would happen um, aside from the sexual abuse. And so I said, well, you did. And you did it several times. And he started crying again and he said, I... I can't even believe that you're talking to me. I can't believe that you're even having this conversation. Like, I owe you so much. I owe you so much. And I said, Dad, you don't owe me anything. I've forgiven you. I have forgiven you. And I want you to know that. And I want you to feel that. Because whatever happens from now on, I want you to know that I love you. 
And there are reasons why we do the things that we do. So, so we got past that conversation and I have done more work. And in, I had been asked to tell my story to a group of high schoolers through, through, um, uh, a group of ladies that come together. Seroptimist is the name of it. They asked me to come and speak to high school girls. And, t- and, and so I decided to tell my story. And there were about 20 girls. So I knew that between 15 and 20 girls that there's sexual abuse in that group. And so when I walked in, um, I introduced myself and told them what I was doing for a living and, and, and all of my success of where I'm at and my family and my children and so on and so forth. And then I went into my story and I had a couple of gals that left several times, but came back in. And in telling my story, I knew it was very important for me to share with them that I told my mother Knowing that they're in high school, I figured there's probably a little bit of a tiff going on with them and their mother right now anyways. So I wanted to let them know that. And as I told them, the focus was really about exposing my father and letting somebody know. And then I said, but my mom didn't believe me. She didn't hear what I had to say. And immediately... I almost broke down and something broke through that I had been living with for my entire life. And it was that I had created a story around my mother that she didn't believe the sexual abuse and that I didn't have a voice. And I immediately looked back to my history of my life And I realized I had been living that way. I had been living like nobody wanted to hear what I had to say because it wasn't important anyways. I wanted to be a wallflower. I didn't want people to notice me. Being 6'1", that's kind of hard to do, but I managed to do it. I didn't like people looking at me. I didn't want people noticing me. And it was all around that moment of conversation about my mom. So I knew I had to call my mom. And I called my mom and I shared it with her. And the immediate time that I told her what I had made it mean, her shoulders dropped and tears came from her eyes. She said, I am so sorry. I knew that I never talked to you, but I didn't know how to talk to you because I had my own shackles on from what had happened to me. And she went on to have conversation with me. And I was so amazed that my mother, you know, my mother's, I know her as being narcissistic. I know her as being controlling. All of these stories I have put around my mother, right? These stories I have created as to who she is. And we have now broken through another level of communication. And she called me. I don't know if I'm taking too much time, but she called me. She called me a couple of weeks ago and said, Rhonda, I have to share with you. I haven't been able to sleep for the last two nights. And I said, okay. And she shared her story with me. And the continual abuse and sexual abuse from her brothers and the rape from her brothers and the oh. stories around it. And, and what she had gone to the doctor because she had an infection. But the, doctors, like the doctor when she left said, I don't think you should tell anybody that you are here. The cover-ups, the stories that people share with me that they were being abused and their grandmother watched it happen. But because she was abused, we almost take it as that's just what happens. 
And that's why people don't tell their stories for many, many reasons, but those are just a few. So I wanted, I wanted to share that because there has been a huge forgiveness and cycle in my life that I have created by telling my story. Well, I thank you so much for sharing that. And it's, I, I want to take a brief break, and then we are going to close this, close this, the um, this segment. And I'd like to open it up to all of us. Any questions that Lori or Jennifer or Mariana or um, Rhonda have, we can then ask. We're just going to take a brief break. Hello, my name is Rhonda Peoples. I am a unique sales trainer that focuses on teaching you how to discover what is important to your client and how to speak to them in their language, such that you hear more yeses than noes. So if you are ready to start saving time and making more money, contact me at my website, rondapeoples.corelink.com or 520-377-2279. This is a content warning. This presentation contains conversations regarding the Me Too movement and is not suitable for children. Parental discretion is advised. Welcome back to Boom Goddess Radio. This is Jennifer Davis Page here in studio with Mariana and with, uh, with Jennifer and Rhonda. And we've got Lori on the phone from, uh, from Pennsylvania. Uh, this has been, uh, I think, a very informative conversation that we've had and I'm I'm praying that it is going to help uh, women that are listening to this program uh, ladies I'd like to open it up to you is there anything any questions that did, that you'd like to ask each other uh, Laura you at a disadvantage because you're not here so would you like to start okay thank you I'm wondering what the women here um, see as the biggest step that individual women can take in light of the stories we've shared, the stories that other women are experiencing, and in general, the Me Too movement. You know, what is the most powerful step that a woman can take? Go ahead, Mariana. It's Mariana. For me, telling my story to someone who just listened was the most powerful step in my own healing. That I could tell my story to someone I trusted. And I set the stage and said, please just listen. Mm -hmm. And I call that committed listening. Mm -hmm. So if you listeners are willing, tell your story to someone you love and trust who will believe you and can just be with you. How important is it to forgive? I and mean, we've talked about forgiveness a lot in this in this conversation. How important is is it to us individually to forgive a a person that has been violent to us in this way, ladies? Well, I have to say, for me, you know, to really make the phone call and verbally have the conversation. Um, and that can't happen in all situations. In some situations, you know, my grandfather had passed. Um, so there are different situ situations. But for me, 
um, to be able to make that phone call. Now, I could only make it because I had regained all my power. I had brought all my power back in within me. I had forgiven myself. I had gone through a process of understanding of what it really truly meant and what it did not mean. Sometimes we get caught up in the story around what actually happened. And that story prevents us from going forward. It prevents us from getting our own power and then being able to have that conversation. And so having that conversation with my father and then with my mother gave me a moment of their story, gave me a moment of their humanity. And it really helped me wipe away all of my stories and go forward on a clean slate, clean slate forward. For all of you that have daughters, have you had this conversation with your daughters? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I and want- my son. Yes. Yes, very important. I think it's important to also know that you don't ha- you're not wrong for not forgiving. You don't have to forgive. It's a choice. Mm-hmm. And the question I would leave you with around that is is this forwarding your life in some way to hold on to that story, to hold on to the anger, to hold on to the sadness, whatever it is, the guilt, blaming yourself. What is that giving you in your life? But there is no universal answer to that. Well, no, because honestly, I think, if I might, you know, I didn't know what I didn't know. Like, I wasn't walking around thinking, gosh, I'm so miserable and mad because my dad sexually abused me. Like, that was a moment to me that happened, and then I... I moved on. I was in my life. I was being successful. I was doing this. I was doing that. So I really didn't, I didn't have that on my shoulder. It wasn't until I really started going forward about, gosh, what's standing in my way of being where I want to be in life? So in my case, um, I've had to work really hard at realizing, in my case, like I said, this person's a, a community leader and a narcissist and still out there in the world. So for me, I've had to really look very hard at extricating myself from the guilt and shame that I carry and to forgive myself, mm-hmm. to observe it, to be able to see how we are handed the guilt and shame and we carry it around while the person who did this goes off scot-free. Right. So I've worked very hard at forgiving myself and some of the other people who the fallout around me. Um, and I've, I've worked hard at having compassion for this person. I work on the compassion. How did they get to be like that? How awful to be them. Mm-hmm. And yet, as long as that person exists walking around um, unchecked and adored in a vulnerable community, I'm not quite ready to put my sword down. Still triggers you. I'm not ready to put my sword down. Yeah. <laughs> I was and that's okay. Somebody, somebody yeah, says, somebody's got to hold a count. Somebody's got to hold a count. Mm-hmm. Lori, go ahead. Well, I want to say that uh, I see many women who are actively pursuing healing and moving forward. And I see women who are still stuck and being triggered or they're still in the midst of it. And then there's other women I see who are judging themselves still. They haven't forgiven themselves. They still blame themselves, but they're not aware of that. Mm -hmm. So it resides in their shadow. And how you see that is they accuse other women or they don't support other women. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I see that everyone has a different way of responding to trauma, to being sexually or physically violated. There is not a one-size-fits-all. 
And it goes back to what we're talking about, forgiveness and compassion, because the, the woman who's yelling at other women for whining about the Me Too movement, she's never, ever healed or been able to look at her own uh, challenges. And that's okay. Some women will take this to their graves without ever being able to work with it. And I, I understand that. It's, it's, it's a really difficult experience. We also and it have takes to, oh, a lot sorry. of courage to heal. And... Um, and so I get that. I get why we're all so different in how we respond to this. But sometimes it requires a fight. And I want to support women who prosecute. I want to support yes. women who take the fight because they're not always doing it for themselves and out of some lack of forgiveness or vengeance or whatever. There are women who are taking the fight because they have to. And there's so many women yes. who are silenced and, 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 and completely impotent. And we have to also support the women who take this all the way. And stand Absolutely. in front of the Supreme Court and who stand up. I mean, we, we talk about forgiveness, and I think that's great. But sometimes, you know, like Krishna, we have to fight and forgive at the same time. Sometimes the greatest forgiveness is to stop our story and fight for what's right, and that is to support other women. And sometimes that is to get horrible people out of the community. And I want to support that also. That can happen yes. hand in hand with forgiveness, but sometimes there's action and battle that has to happen. And that is just as Buddhist as it gets. It's not all, you know, focusing on our navels. I was astonished when I read that there are one out of every four women mm -hmm. that are sexually and violently abused mm -hmm. in the United States of America. Mm -hmm. Any other comments, ladies? Go ahead, Mariana. I really believed that I had put this all behind me because I have studied mindfulness, being present, and it just didn't come up for me for a very long time until the Kavanaugh hearings. Mm -hmm. I got really upset, and I was shaking as I was watching it. And now again with Epstein. So there is, in my body, a reactivation. Now, I'm not acting on that. I don't feel in any way threatened or sad. I just am. And I don't even call myself a survivor. I call myself a thriver. Mm -hmm. Amen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yep. Any other comments before we close? Thank you for having this yes. venue. Yes. Thank you all for telling your stories. You know, I support and I agree with what everybody has said. Same here. You know, we are in this together. Mm -hmm. I just want to tell all of our listeners that if you want to have a conversation, there is a national hotline. You can dial 1-800-656-HOPE, H-O-P-E, or 1-800-656-4673. There's also an online uh, uh, you can go online to r-a-i-n-i-n.org. The acronym stands for Rape, Abuse, Incest National Network. Again, r-a-i-n-i-n.org. I'd like to thank all of the men and women that are listening to this program. I'd like to thank all of you lovely ladies for participating in this very important conversation uh, with at Boom Goddess Radio. Um, again, thank you very much. And we're going to, I think I'd like to have a part two. I was talking to a gentleman this morning. He said, what about the men? Let's mm -hmm. have a conversation yeah, with absolutely. the men. Absolutely. 
For more information, visit our website, boomgoddessradio.com, and follow us on Facebook, Boom Goddess. We'd love to hear from you. Your interest powers our programs.